certainly a privilege to be here today and to be able to participate together without fear of interruption, uh, worshiping the God of heaven above, the God of the Bible that's revealed to us. And it's our desire to only do those things that are right in God's sight, to worship God as John 4, 24 and other passages teach in spirit and in truth. It's really good to see you here today. And uh, by special mention, I have to say hello to Sasha and family. It's so good to have you all here again. And you have been missed. And our love is extended to you in everything that is right and good and any way we can help you and you help us by your being here. We're told by God to be here in Hebrews 10.25 and passages about the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and about our opportunity to give because God has given us a complete plan. The perfect law of liberty, as James 1 verses 25 through 27 point out, we're going to talk about the Word of God today, but I'm going to flip the lesson for a second and ask you to go back to where you marked uh, the invitation song. And Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't come, uh, we'll be singing this in a few moments. And the concept of trust and obey. Um, if we were to go somewhere and there was a great bridge, and I've looked at some bridges around the world, some are pedestrian-only bridges that are very high. Uh, I've had the privilege of going out to, for some training long ago when I had a secular job before retirement uh, to Royal Gorge out past Colorado Springs, Colorado. And in America, it has quite a span that goes way down, and you can see a little river that's flowing. And on that day, uh, it was very cold. And there was a rail car that goes across, and there was a bridge that was a footbridge that people could go across. And then the footbridge looked very sturdy, and the rail car did not, but I chose the rail car on that day. And asked the ranger that was running it, uh, how good has it been going today? He said, well, pretty good. There's a little bit of ice on the cable, but we know where that is by now. It's starting to get dark. This will be the last ride of the day. Um, it was early, about 4, 4.30. And he said, uh, I believe we'll be okay. When we get to the other side, if it's not good, I could still see the pedestrian bridge. He said, we just had to get off. You know, just walk back. You know, we won't take the car back today. Well, I got a little nervous, but I had to trust that that ranger knew what he was talking about. And I got inside and I looked and started thinking. And I said, well, what does happen if and we are already we start going and we start moving and I'm having to trust that what I've heard is right. He wasn't going to turn that thing around. I looked up and there was a little trap door in the top of the ceiling that was about 18 inches wide. I said, what happens if, if uh, you know, this thing does get stuck on the ice? And he, he said, well, you see that little line that comes across over? I said, yes. He said, well, there's a, a smaller little cart that only holds about one or two people at a time. And what we do is we open that up and one person comes out and we send one person at a time through the roof and you will stand on the roof for just a moment and we start swaying like this because the wind started blowing. And I said, okay, I've got the idea. Uh, we did get stuck in the middle. Uh, he asked us to rock the cable car, which we did. I didn't like that at all. And he said, we've done this before. I think we'll get across. The thing wasn't too good, but we got across to the other side. And uh, he said, anybody who wants to could just take the path. You can see the bridge down there and walk back. But he said, I am going to take the car back across since we were able to 
to uh, rock the car and go. Anybody wants to stay, um, you can go back in the car with me. And so I was uh, crazy enough to stay in the car and go back. He got stuck in the same place, and it was getting darker and darker and darker. And he said, trust me, he said, I can, we can rock this thing. I said, I don't like rocking this thing. He said, we'll be all right. We've been out here for years, and we made it across. Well, it, it didn't have to come out that good. I'm glad that it did. But it was a really, really far. I, I want to say a mile and a quarter, but I don't want to misrepresent the truth. But it was supposedly the highest bridge uh, in America uh, as far as the actual point from where you would have your feet and where you would see that little creek or river uh, down there. There are others in a, the world that are uh, higher but my knees were knocking to say the least. Getting back to trust and obey, we trust what's in God's word if we believe him. But faith only is not going to do it for us to believe in God and just leave it there. Or have a study and an academic knowledge of what the truth is of the new covenant. After Jesus shed his blood, he took the old covenant out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and we've come to the New Testament, the New Covenant. And uh, he purchased the church with his blood, and we can be members of that blood-bought institution and are today those of us who have put on Christ by following his word. The obey part is not meritorious, and that's what we're going to look at today. And the lesson's entitled, A Faith That Saves... Is a, safe, is a faith that obeys. A faith that saves is a faith that obeys. But only in the sense of non-meritorious conditions that God gave. God didn't say, if you do these 18 things, and you learn to do them well, and you just keep doing those, you'll earn your salvation. We're not going to ever earn our salvation. Jesus died on the cross because we can't die for ourselves, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23, and other passages teach. Without faith, now, it is impossible to please him, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Hebrews 11 uh, and verse 6, but he is a rewarder that's going to reward those who diligently seek him. In the Second Thessalonian letter in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back to earth in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that means people that don't believe in God, and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there's the and in there, just like in our song of invitation today, trust and obey. If you don't know God, if you don't believe in Him, and you don't obey the gospel, then He's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them with everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. So it would behoove us to remind ourselves of these things for our spiritual benefit as well as for others. Well, Mark, doesn't the Bible say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Yes. And that's a true statement. And the word only 
is not in that verse. Believeth in him only. Or alone has faith in Jesus Christ alone. But I can take you to a passage that God gave us. Okay. And we can read that verse. And that's in James. And in James the second chapter. There's a couple of verses there where the word only is used. Or the word alone is used in our English translations of the Bible. And it's not teaching salvation by faith only. But it's also not teaching that we're saved by meritorious works. That the things we do will have us like we cut the grass, we had an agreed upon price, and we can look to God in the judgment day and hold out our hand and say, I did the work, I've earned it, give it to me. That's not the type of works that are in these passages about conditions to salvation. Are there some things about works in the Bible where if somebody did a certain work they had merited? Well, that's the fellow that worked seven years for a wife and he ended up getting the wrong lady in the Old Testament and then he had to agree to work seven more and he loved her so much they passed by as though they were but a day. Yeah, he earned uh, the right to uh, marry, didn't he? Leah and Rachel one who was older was not necessarily as outwardly beautiful as was Rachel. But he finally got, because of his work, he earned that. Not so in the case of our salvation. I hope you're James 2. If not, you can uh, roll back there. What does it profit, my brethren, verse 14, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? That's a reasonable question, isn't it? God put it in Scripture. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? This is an illustration. <coughs> Illustrations illustrate, and they can teach. But when Jesus uses a parable or an illustration, it contains truth in it to make the truth come forth of what it's illustrating. So he's using an illustration about someone needing food concerning the matter of answering a question about faith coupled with works or not having to worry about the works as long as you have faith. And so he says, verse 17, thus also... Referring back to his illustration. Thus also faith by itself. Wouldn't that be faith alone or faith only? Yes. If it does not have works, is dead. So, there's a kind of faith that's a dead faith, and that's faith alone. And unfortunately, throughout the whole world, there are men and women who are teaching and preaching and believing that faith alone is fine. The devil... Loves it that that doctrine keeps going forth, even though this, this isn't the only place in this chapter where the Bible is teaching us that faith alone is not going to do it. But we won't merit our own salvation by adding works to it. There are conditions that God has set. Let's look on together. Rereading 17, thus so. Faith by itself, this is New King James, if it does not have works is dead. 
he handles an objection maybe. But someone will say, you have faith, I will have works. James says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. To fit this back into the illustration up above, James is saying, I'm going to see the person that's in need and I'm going to help them out, which is the works part. You're telling me you're going to have faith and you're not going to do the works part? <laughs> is that what we're hearing, James says, in answering and asking that question? You believe there's one God, verse 19. There's the faith. It's faith, belief. You do well. Even the de devils believe and tremble. Oh, okay. Why is he introducing the demons? James is making an inspired point that is so forceful that they should wake up and we should wake up if we've got a problem with the doctrine of faith only because it does not save. To say that even the devils know there is a God. So much so that when Paul was converted <laughs> and others were walking around and we had the problem with the, the abuse or the monetary merchandising of the girl that was uh, filled with the devil, that the devil kept speaking, following them around. These people are from God, the true and living God. They're preaching the truth. <laughs> the devils believe and even confess back in the days of the miraculous. But do you want to know, verse 20, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Then an illustration or an example is given about Abraham. Speaking to a person who would be a Jew, they would know who Abraham was. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, there's the faith, and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Here comes another verse with that word only. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Is he saying faith is not essential? Absolutely not. Faith isn't essential. Faith is the uh, pivot point where someone begins when they believe to have the opportunity to say, what do I need to do from here? Because now I believe. And then he uses another biblical illustration. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther <laughs> said he didn't want James to be in the New Testament because of these verses. He did not want it to be the case that faith alone was wrong as a doctrine to preach to people for salvation. And so to have James out of the New Testament would just make it much easier. So let's don't let uh, James be in the canon and let's have one less book in the Bible. Well, there's a whole lot more in other books that would help us know 
uh, what's going on besides faith in our salvation. But isn't that something? That that would be the case. That a person who spent so much of their time in religious activity claiming to teach the truth would say that a book of the New Testament, the book of James, that others knew should be in the canon, that should be in the Bible as the Holy Word of God, should stay in it. May it never be that we take that type of, of thought toward God's Word. Let's go back just briefly to Jesus Christ our Lord. Prior to the formation of the church, but when he was on earth teaching, he said in Luke 13, 3, Nay, I, but except ye repent, ye shall also likewise perish. If you don't repent, Jesus says you're going to be lost. If you throw it up on the scales and you throw faith up there, faith is not repentance. Do the verb check. Verb is, can be an action. Okay, so, well, I want to believe. Do you believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Okay. Academically, yes. If somebody asks you, uh, if you believe in Jesus, what are you going to tell them? Yes. He lived. He died. He's the Son of God. He's not just a historical figure. Uh, no problem. Okay. Has that person repented? No. If they are living in sin and they have a change of heart that results in a change of action, they've repented. So there are two different verbs of action to believe and to repent. That's why on the Acts 2 Pentecost, when those who believed the sermon were pricked to the heart, they said, what do we need to do? They were told to repent and be baptized. That was something in addition to their belief that they already had. And so they that gladly received the word were baptized that day. When Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he didn't say he that believeth and is baptized only. He didn't say, nay, I tell you, except ye repent only. This word only needs to be set aside and we need to stay with what God's word says and understand that at some point in Jesus' preaching, he brings up the necessity of repentance. Not just once, but often. But for the sake of time, wouldn't once be enough? And Paul carries it on after Jesus goes back to heaven. In the Acts 2 Pentecost, Peter does with the 11. Paul's not a Christian yet. To a little bit later on. And Paul begins to preach the same gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But when people want to throw out Mark 16, they do like Luther. When you ask what somebody has to do to be saved, they'll use Mark 16, 16 and the very last phrase of the verse. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Then you start talking about some scriptures that talk about water baptism being essential in order to become a Christian. And they'll say, well, didn't you know that Mark 16, 9 through 20 is not really scripture? It's spurious, and it's not found in all the manuscript families, and therefore, they said, well, you just used it a while ago when you were telling me that you believe that faith is necessary because you quoted Mark 16, 16, the B part, 
And now you're wanting to tell me it's not even scripture because I'm bringing up the same verse you brought up, except now we're talking about baptism. You see the difficulty that someone wants to pick up the stick and hit the baseball with it, and, and, and then you want to get the ball, and, and they say, whoa, 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 you can't use that stick. You say, well, you just used it? <laughs> well, you know, here's a stick and a ball. Let's believe and be baptized. We've got to use them both. And not only. The word only is not found there. So we can't find faith only will make you a Christian. We can't find repentance only will make you a Christian. We can't find confess Christ, Romans 10, 90, 10, only, and that will make you a Christian. And so if we hear the gospel and we believe the gospel and we're willing to repent of our sins and confess Christ is the Son of God, we can be scripturally baptized according to the baptism of the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that Jesus left in place as he already had died, resurrected and was talking to his apostles before he left to go to heaven. On that occasion, in Mark 16, 16, as Mark gives an account, but over in Matthew 28, these words were used. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we've got at least two obeys in here. In addition to faith, you're going to have to be baptized in whatever it means to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the faith that saves one in order to become a Christian is going to be the faith that obeys whatever God said do we need to do to become a Christian. And if God said do this in order to become a child of mine and I'll remit all your past sins and you'll be then in Christ, then we'll hear, believe, repent, confess, and we'll be baptized according to the Great Commission. This is not Holy Spirit baptism. This is not the baptism of John. This is not what is talked about with regard to the baptism of suffering. This is not the baptism in the Bible that's talked to about the baptism of fire. This is not the baptism unto Moses that had the cloud and the sea. Around 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. This is the baptism of the new commission. This is the baptism that puts you into Christ as Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27 say. The faith that we need to have in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. didn't say they would not. It said should not perish but have everlasting life needs to be the faith that obeys the repentance passages, the confessing Christ passages, and then the being baptized in water passages. Okay, Mark, everybody in this audience practically, okay, has done that. So we're now in Christ. We'll look real quick at Galatians 3, 26, and uh, a few verses following Paul says to the churches of Galatia, so he's writing to Christians, but he's teaching this same thing, which is a New, principle, a New Testament principle about becoming a Christian. For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he gets us out of prejudice. He teaches us it's wrong. 
whether it's Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And James has some teaching also along this line of prejudice based on social status or where there's someone dresses really nicely and someone's not dressed the same way. Someone may look different or have a color of skin that's different. We're all made just like from the human race standpoint, the children of Adam and Eve. We come through a process of being birthed into this world physically. And similarly, we have a new birth in order to become a child of God spiritually. And he says the if-then statement in verse 29 of Galatians 3, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. A faith that saves is a faith that obeys. No, I just want faith only. Well, now we're starting to deviate and tell God what we want to pick and choose and what we don't want to accept. That's not what happened in New Testament times as people were allowed to pick from a menu like going into a restaurant. Here's the things that you can do in order to become a Christian. You pick the mix or the, the, the amount that you want. They're all in there. Here's, here's repentance. Here's faith. Here's confessing that Christ is the Son of God. And here's water baptism. Now you pick, and then we'll, we'll just do it the way you want it to be done. That won't work. It's as many as were baptized into Christ put on Christ. Does that mean baptism only? No. What does verse 26 say? For you are all the sons of God through faith. There's faith being mentioned in the same context with being baptized. Well, Mark, repentance and confession are not here, so I'll just leave that part off. I don't believe that would be recommended when our Lord said that except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And when the gospel began to be preached on that first Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ, Peter and others, when they were asked the question, what do we need to do? They included specifically to say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, in order to receive, the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he went on, and it says in verse 41, those that gladly received his word picked out what they wanted to do of the amount, and then they did whatever the people wanted to do. No. The people that gladly received his word were baptized. You reckon they repented since he asked them or commanded them to repent? Yes. He wouldn't have baptized them if they said, well, I'm unwilling to repent, and I won't confess Christ, but I want you to baptize me anyway. You think, Peter, if I'm saying Paul all the time now, I want to get it right <laughs> to the audience and to the record for later, that it's Peter that's standing up and Paul became a Christian later. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Academically, here's the trust and obey for Christians. That's the latter part as we begin to bring our lesson to a close. We won't have time to go over everything in the New Testament it takes to be a faithful Christian, will we? That's a lifelong journey, isn't it? That's going through the pages of the New Covenant and reading about giving. And we have to put it into practice. Reading about attendance and putting it into practice. Reading about loving one another in the family of God and putting it into practice. Reading what God's Word says are God's law, New Testament law about marriage and divorce 
and remarriage. And as hard and as strict as they may be, we have to follow them. But not to overlook and say, well, I like to go to Luke to uh, chapter 16 and verse 18. You know, and it just says right up. When you get married, you can't get a divorce. No, that's not what the New Testament teaching is. If you go to Matthew 19, 9 and Matthew 5, 32. But you only have a narrow scope as putting an unfaithful spouse away for the cause of fornication and remarriage else is considered adultery. So, well, that's hard. Well, God's Word is right. We're not the lawgiver. We must relent to God's Word. We must submit to God's Word. And we get over into another passage, and it says that we're to obey the Lord with regard to the actions of worship. Worship God in spirit and truth. And then somebody says, we can triple or quadruple the size of the congregation. Nobody expressed this interest here. If we'll just have a rock band with Christian songs and a big two flat screens at the front TV, and we'll just have a rock concert, but it'll be a rock Christian concert. And we'll get all the young people in the community to come. And we'll build a gymnasium next door, call it a family life center. We can use it for so many things for good and bring them in that way and then we can baptize them later. We can convert them to Christ later. Sounds like a plan. That's not what Jesus did in the New Testament. That's not the pattern that we had. It was to go into uh, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's not to lure people with carnal incentives, whether it's a hot dog, and if you do, you're later going to have to give them a hamburger, and then if you do that, then somebody's going to be rivaling you with roast beef, so you're going to have to follow that up with a steak or filet mignon or whatever shrimp, whatever the case may be that whets your appetite. And what did Jesus do? And Jesus was not the church. The church is the body of Jesus, but when Jesus was on the earth, the church didn't even exist. He was going to build it, and he did. Jesus said, i got some people following me for the loaves and the fishes. He stopped. Now, he, he was not saying he was unwilling to help someone that was in need. But Jesus is an individual living perfectly under the old law and spreading the gospel of the glorious kingdom to come and telling them things about the new covenant to come when people were just following for the loaves and the fishes, he stopped. He stopped teaching? No, he did not stop teaching. He kept teaching, but he quit making miracles that involved loaves and fishes for the people, and he rebuked the people for what they were doing. And so we should learn from that and from other things that if our pattern is complete about the New Testament church, and it is, then we need to follow the New Testament pattern and not try to use carnal incentives when we have these other illustrations that show us that's not what we should be doing. We should be drawing people with the gospel. Well, let's look to Hebrews 11 as we have a little bit more time left and think about this matter of not by faith only, not by meritorious works, but rather faith that saves is a faith that obeys. 
The Hebrew writer tells us in verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is no eyewitness alive today that Jesus lived. But we have faith. Is that just a guess? Well, I'm going to guess, and I'm going to go ahead and guess on the side that Jesus did live. We cannot, with empirical evidence like taking scales and having a 10-pound bag of dog food, put that up on the scales after they've been calibrated, and we're going to see the needle go to 10, and we say, yep, that bag weighs 10 pounds. I saw it with my eyes. Faith is believing in something that is unseen, but you can still have evidence. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Okay, the sun, moon, and stars, the firmament that we have. You go back to Genesis and read about where God placed everything in creation. We can know there is a God, but not in the same way that you can know that 10 pounds of a sack of dog food really is 10 pounds. Well, how are we supposed to? What kind of evidence? Well, there's other types of evidence. There are witnesses that are reliable witnesses. If you'll go to John 20 and chapter 21, these eyewitnesses were willing to go to the death. They were willing to be martyrs to say that Jesus did what he said he did and what the Bible says he did with regard to miracles and the signs and wonders. Thomas didn't believe while Jesus was standing right in front of him as a resurrected Christ. And before he did, he told the other disciples, he said, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints of his hand, unless I can see the hole in his side, I will not believe. Sound like to me he wasn't going to be willing to take something on faith that he could not see, but still had evidence which was the eyewitness testimony of his own brethren, disciples, apostles that Jesus had handpicked at absent Judas because Judas had already killed himself at the time of this occurrence in John chapter 20. And Jesus said to him, verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, he didn't give him credit for faith, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's telling me that we're walking by faith and not by sight, like other passages teach in the New Testament. If we take it the way Jesus said in the latter part, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you don't have to see in order to believe. And when you believe it, you know it to be true. You don't know it in exactly the same way that all evidence comes to us, like the sack on the scales, but you can still know it of a surety. Verse 25 of chapter 21 of John says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. So let's look at some phrases in Hebrews 11 and we'll bring our lesson to a close. This is the by faith chapter. We started in verse 1. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're going to try to pick those things that involve some obedience. Okay? So we're not really going to hone in on three. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that exist were spoken into existence. We're going to look at something like, by faith, Abel offered, verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. A more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We don't know all the particulars because the Genesis record does not tell us everything God told Abel and everything he told Cain. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So it had to be the case, by God's word, that he told Abel and Cain what to do. They clearly understood what they were to do, and Abel did it, and that's how it could be said to be by faith. Cain, whatever the supposition may be, the concrete answer for us that we can know and believe because of this verse is that Cain did not offer his by faith. And since faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word, in their case, literally, listening to the voice of God back in Genesis, then they didn't do what Cain didn't do, what God said do. So this faith that saved Abel was, though he died physically by the hands of his brother. The faith that saves is the faith that obeys because he did it right with regard to his sacrifice. By faith, Enoch, who was one of the few that were taken from this earth and did not experience physical death. I believe Elijah is the other that was taken up, didn't experience physical death as best I can tell. By faith, Enoch was taken away that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So it was by faith that this happened because Enoch walked with God, like walking in the light. He heard from God what he was supposed to be doing. He continued in that path. The faith that saved Enoch was the faith that believed and obeyed. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The faith that saves is the faith that obeyed. Pity Noah if he didn't follow the directions and tried to take shortcuts. Well, to get to the gopher wood, I've got to go way over that hill, and then I've got to drag it over the hill to get back over. I don't like that. I've got some other wood that's nearer. God won't mind. No, God does mind if he specifies something, and we should care about that. The faith that saves is the faith that obeys. Did he earn that? <laughs> Did Noah earn something by following God's instruction, the blueprint for the ark? No, he did not earn that. That was God's gift. But he met the conditions of living righteously on earth, preaching for over 100 years to some people that were really wicked and sinful, so much so that it made God sorry or sad that he'd ever created mankind and therefore he was going to bring the flood, only saving the eight souls. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Notice all this coupling of faith and obedience, faith and obedience, faith and obedience. And we're about to sing it, so get your songbook ready. Trust and obey. 
walking around the city of Jericho. They passed through the Red Sea, verse 29, as by dry land to get out of Egypt. Rahab, as we mentioned in verse 31 of Hebrews 11, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And others, mentioning Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Faith only? No, it's not faith only. But it's a saving faith. Faith only is a dead faith. We learned that from James 2. The saving faith does whatever God said do, even if it means to repent to become a Christian, even if it means to confess with the mouth, even if it means to submit to the watery grave of baptism in order to become a child of God, even if it means as a Christian doing what God said do to be faithful as both an individual and as the church. The lesson's yours. We must, we must trust and obey. But never let someone tell you that we believe in a works-only salvation. We don't believe in a works-only. Faith itself is mentioned in the book of John as a work, but not faith only. If you're here today and you're subject in any way, we can help you spiritually. We stand ready to do that. Won't you come? While together we stand and sing the song.